0: The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.: So we are continuing our sermon series in the book of Hebrews. And we have seen the author exhorting his listeners to not leave Christ. Don't go back to your old way. They were feeling tempted to leave Christ, these uh, Jewish converts to Christianity, because when they came to Christ, they were being persecuted, they were being pushed out of the community, they were not being involved in any of the community's functions, so life was getting hard for them. So they were like, well, if I just deny Christ and go back, my life will be normal again. That's the temptation they were feeling. And we saw the author, chapter after chapter, exhorting them, no, 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 keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your eyes on Christ. He provides for you way better than the old law can. And so in our section here, uh, chapter 7, he starts to make a comparison between the Levitical priesthood, which is what the Jewish Christians who converted, Um, We're used to versus the Melchizedekian priesthood, which is this new priesthood that was introduced in their scriptures after the law. So he was making a comparison between Melchizedek to Christ. And in chapter 7, verse 11, I don't have it up there, but we could just look in our Bibles. In verse 11, it says, Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? Do you see the problem? Perfection needed to be attained for us to have communion with God. But the Levitical priesthood was not giving that to them. The Levitical priesthood, um, the Levitical priesthood, was a institution set up by God. Okay, it was set up after they were leaving, after Israel was leaving Egypt, and they were in the wilderness. God wanted to dwell with His people, but there's a problem: sin. Sin is a problem that disconnects us from God. But God loves us, and he wants to dwell with his people. So he set up this sacrificial system. If you sin, you come, you make a sacrifice, your sins are paid for, you'll have fellowship with God. Then you go back home. If you sin again, you bring back another animal, make a sacrifice, and your sins are paid for. And this has been going on and on and on and on and on. So the problem that he's raising is like, we need a high priest who can atone for our sins, so that we can enjoy fellowship with God. So what we saw so far, (laughs) I'm just going to review real quick from 11 to 19, four arguments that um, the author is making of why the Melchizedekian priesthood is better for them than the Levitical one. We saw that there was a change of the priesthood. So we saw that God said no more for this one. There's a new order, a new priesthood. Uh, we saw that the priesthood had truly changed because Jesus is not from the Levite tribe, which was the tribe of the priest. He was from the tribe of Judah, a different tribe, a different priesthood. Then he made the argument that Jesus' priesthood is better because he possesses an indestructible life. He doesn't die. And number four, we saw that Jesus' priesthood brings people into the presence of God. There wasn't just a priest on their behalf now. You can draw near to God. So in Hebrews, our section today, verses 7, I mean, sorry, yeah, verses 20 through 28, the author makes four more compelling aspects, more, uh, more compelling arguments about Jesus' per, uh, perfect priesthood that will give you hope to draw near to God with confidence. So we're going to see four more compelling aspects about Jesus' perfect priesthood that will give you hope to draw near to God with confidence. Uh, And they are this. Jesus' priesthood is established by the Father with an oath. Number two, Jesus' priesthood is enduring because he lives forever. Number three, Jesus' priesthood is essential because he alone is qualified To save us. And number four, Jesus' priesthood is without equal because he is the Son of God who is mediating for us. So the first part is found in verses 20 to 22. And he he writes, And it was not without an oath. We can't go on until we define what it is. Is. So if you guys look up to verse 19, it says, But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. A better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. This hope is given now to the Christians. And it's not just given to them like the Levitical priesthood was. Look what he says. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. They were not given a lasting promise. that says, your lineage will be priests forever. This is how I will commune with my people, through the Levitical priests. They didn't have that. But this one, verse 21, was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn, and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Notice that he is using Psalm 110. And Psalm 110, um, there's a promise in there that introduces a new priesthood. and And he already made mention that it was after the order of Melchizedek. But when he quotes the psalm again, he doesn't put Melchizedek's name. He applies this psalm, this oath, to Jesus. Verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Why is it important that God would make an oath? An oath is a serious is a serious promise that determines one's future or behavior. When God makes a promise, it's not for himself. It's actually for us. It gives us confidence to know that God's going to do something. It gives us trust that God will keep his word. This promise... I want you to notice the emphatic nature of this promise. It says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Does God um, go back on his promises? No. If he says, I'm going to do something, doesn't he do it? Yeah. But then he also adds, I'm not going to change my mind about this. And he selects A priesthood. And he says that through this priesthood, you will have communion with me. So, the goal of the high priest, okay, um, the goal of the high priestly service is to render access to God by blotting out the guilt of the people's sins. So, this should bring us extreme hope and confidence to draw near to God. God is making a way to dwell with his people. God is telling his people, I don't want to just kick you out and not have fellowship with you. I want you to come to me. I want you to be drawn in with me. When it says this makes Jesus a guarantor, he selects the person by which we have access to him. What is a guarantor? A guarantor is somebody who guarantees something, um, someone who will bring surety of the promise made. Notice also the author is saying it's a better covenant that Jesus is uh, assuring for us. Look at Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. This is the new covenant. We're not going to go into deep in this one because the author is going to develop this in the next few chapters. So here's the covenant that uh, the author is referring to. In Jeremiah, says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. No, I was their husband, declares the Lord. Here it is, verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Notice that it's a new covenant. It's not like the one that was broken. Notice that it has to do with a heart change. Um, the law will be written on it. Notice that God will have his people, and they will all know him, from the least of them to the greatest of them. If you are a part of God's people, you will know God. I and mean, That's amazing. Um, our iniquities are forgiven, and our sins are remembered no more. This is the promise. This is how, His new way of going. This is God's new way that He's going to deal with people, not like in the past where the people were cut off, and only one person can come into the tabernacle, into the holy holies, and atone for your sins, so that you could have fellowship. It's now that we get to come in. It's a new way, God. It's going to forgive our iniquity and remember our sins no more but who we need so this idea of a guarantor is the idea of somebody being able to put one hand on god and one hand on man one hand on man and one hand on god he's the he's the one that could negotiate terms between the two jesus is the only one that can do this for us In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Sorry to make you jump around over there. Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Jesus is truly human. The same author writes in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. About Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is truly God. Jesus is in the middle. You can put a hand on God because he's truly God. You can put a hand on man. He's truly human. There is no other name on the list that God is going to deal with us. There is no other name that God says, oh, it's Jesus, and if you come through this guy, if you come through this guy, you come through this guy, it's okay. God will not negotiate the terms. He sets the terms. And he set Jesus to be the term. That's what we see in verse 22. Notice also what he says in John 14.6. In John 14.6. We read, "I." Jesus said to him, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." What is the next three words? No one comes to who, the Father, except through me. That's scandalous in our culture, isn't it? To say that, hey. Um, if you can say, if Jesus said, I am a way to God, right? Or I am a truth, or I am a life, the world will not have a problem with Jesus. It gets really serious and gets a real problem when we say, no, 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 no. He is the way. He is the, the truth, and he is the life. He's the only way we have access to God. There is no other name given uh, under heaven by which we may be saved, right? Jesus. And his priesthood was set up by God with a promise. God is saying, look, you come to Jesus and his ministry, I'm not going to change my mind about it forever. It's him forever. There's not going to be one after him. No one's going to take his place. It's, it's Jesus, and he says, forever. You are a priest forever. Um, we can be hopeful to draw near to God through Jesus, again, because he's been made a priest with a promise, with an oath. Uh, next, the author makes, uh, gives us another compelling aspect. Jesus' priesthood is established by God with a unique oath, but it is also enduring. Jesus' priesthood is enduring, The former in verse 23 it reads, the former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Now let's just stop right there. Again, remember the the author's mindset here. He's making comparisons. He's showing them the liturgical priesthood is not good enough. Jesus is way better. All the, the old ways are, they're not going to cut it. Jesus is better. So, this is, his, this is his mindset. And this contrast right here, he says the former priests were many in number. Why were there so many? Oh, they kept dying. Why are they dying? What does the Bible say? For the wages of sin is death. The priests who are atoning for the sins of the people are also sinners. They're dying, and then when they die, somebody else has to come and take their spot. Then they die, and then somebody else has to come and take their spot. And then they die. Do you understand? It's ongoing. It's not working out. They cannot continue in office. And then the contrast, Jesus holds his priesthood permanently. This idea is he's holding it right now. He's holding it Today and he's holding it permanently. It means he's not going to change. It's set in stone. Jesus is our priest and only access to God. Look, verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is always to save to the uttermost. This word, uttermost, can, mean, can have two aspects of it. One can mean um, forever in terms of time. Or it could mean the extent to which he saves someone completely. You can go between the two. They're both true. He saves completely and forever. The uttermost. He will not fail in his duties as high priest. But who is he saving? Is it the professional Christians? Is it um, rich people? Is it poor people? Who is Jesus saving? Read it with me. Yeah, in verse 25. Those who, what? Draw near to God. How are they drawing near to God? What's through him? The gate. There's There's only one gate to come to God. The world will provide you a hundred and thousands and millions of gates. You have your own truth, man. You go to God the way you want to go to. No, 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 no. God set up one way. One way. Those who draw near to God through Him, through Jesus, those are the people who are saved completely. But what about all the other gates and all the other religions and all the other ways to God? What about all those people? They're not saved. They're not saved. One way. God has given us. And He's so gracious to do so. Think about it. A holy God. He could have just let us all go. But He loves us, so He gave us a way to have fellowship, a way to draw, a way to have fellowship with Him. Notice it's open. Those who draw near, just come. Just come to the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. I love that. It doesn't say um, what church you have to, uh, you know, it doesn't say uh, where you have to go, what building, what room number. There is one way to come to Jesus, but on your part, it's just to come to Him. The invitation's open. Back in the day, when you didn't have an animal to sacrifice, you had to go through another, uh, a cheaper animal to buy so that you could you know, make your way because God loved from the least to the great. Now it's just come. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Uh, since Jesus lives forever, there's only one way. What is he doing right now? What is Jesus doing right now? Interceding for us. Read the verse with me. Since he always lives to make what? Intercession for them. The them is the people who draw near to God through Jesus, right? Through him. One. Jesus is always living, interceding for his people. He is before God in the holy of holies. Pleading with God to forgive us of our sins that we commit on a daily basis. Notice that there's no other voice in heaven pleading for us. There's only one voice in heaven that is before the Father pleading for us it's Jesus' voice, not the voice of a human, not the, the voice of a high priest, not the voice of an angel. But the voice of Jesus, he's making intercession for you and for me. Those who draw near to God, he is right now interceding for us. You can be hopeful to draw near to God through Jesus' enduring priesthood because he's the only high priest who is available and capable of saving you. It's the only one. He's the only one. Now, we saw that his priesthood was established by God with an oath. We saw that it's enduring. He does not die. And the author now is going to build on this idea of him not dying. So we're going to see that his priesthood is essential. Essential. Look at this. Verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, stop right there. The author is playing off of something in his mind to tell us that it's fitting for you to have a high priest. What is he thinking in his mind? We're, We're sinners. We're corrupt. We failed God so much. We don't deserve fellowship with God. We don't. We broke every one of his rules. But we have a high priest. And the author is so excited to tell us, it's fitting for us to have this kind of high priest. What kind of high priest is he? He lists five things about Jesus. Number one, he is holy. He is innocent. He is unstained. He is separated from sinners. And he is exalted above the heavens. What a picture. What a picture. Holy, it denotes his moral purity and his devotion to God. It also tells us that his life was separate, it, it, was, it was concentrated in the priesthood office. He is, in his mind, he is, this priesthood job is that's, that's his whole life's purpose. Holy, it's, it's separated onto something sacred. He, this is what he is. And number two, he's innocent. He's, he, never, he never intended to do evil or harm to anyone. Jesus never intended to harm or do evil to anyone. This must have been music to the ears of the authors at this time. Why? They know of priests in the Old Testament that took advantage of people who wanted to come draw near to God. They know, they stay. Aaron's, the first priest, his sons, messing up. Eli and his sons, messing up. I mean, there, there's a huge list. I mean, those two I'll just pick up because we're just going through it. Jesus, on the other hand, remember, this is a contrast of priests here. Jesus is innocent. He's innocent. Number, um, also he's free from evil. There's no hidden agenda to trick us. You know? He's not trying to trick us. He's not trying to give us false promises. And Jesus is innocent. Number three, we saw he's unstained. There's, so he's unstained by sin. That's like the idea from the inside. He didn't have a bad thought. Sin has not touched his moral character at all. There's no stain of sin on him. He did nothing to disqualify him from being a priest. Nothing. I mean, the contrast is huge. Look at this. It goes further. Separated from sinners. This one was a tough one to go through. <laughs> came up with this, um, not came up, but I settled on this idea. He does not have a sinful nature. He wasn't separated in the sense of no sinner can come to him because he's saving sinners. Right? The idea is is that he doesn't have the same sinful nature we do. He doesn't have the same sinful nature that killed all these multiple, multiple, multiple priests dying. He's separated from sinners. And then to push it over the top, it says what? He is exalted above the heavens. Wow. He is right now at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is in the holy of holies where God is in heaven. He is not in a tent. He is not in a building He is exalted above the heavens. You can't say this about a normal human. I'm going to try it. Joseph Smith. (laughs) I can't even do it. can't do it. Um, He's not an angel. The archangel Michael is. No. Who is exalted above the heavens but God? Only God. And Jesus is there. It's amazing. It's amazing. Look at this. Here's another contrast. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices how often? Daily. What are they making sacrifices for? For his own sins and for those of the people. This is what the priest's job was. He is to kill an animal, spill its blood so it could atone for your sins so that you can come and have fellowship with God. And again, every time you mess up, you got to go get another animal, come bring it in, get your sins atoned for, your conscience is clear, you have access with God. And then you go back home. Oh man, the kid, <laughs> he drew on the wall again. You know, whatever sinful thing. Um, go home and fall into sin, you bring another animal, you kill, now you have access to God. You go back home, Another animal, you kill, you have access to God. Another animal, and this is daily. This is daily. This is ever since it was established. If you want communion with God, your sins have to be paid for. He will not have fellowship with us if we're not perfect. That's the problem. There's, there, that, that, that's why there were so much sacrifices. Our sins have to be paid for so our conscience can be cleared. But Jesus didn't have a need to do that daily. First of all, he never committed a sin, so he never had to. But look what it says. What about for the people? What about for us? How does he pay for our sins? (sighs) He did this once for all, just stop right there. What sacrifice was so precious to God that God got rid of the sacrificial system? What sacrifice was so perfect that God decided no more sacrificial system? What did Jesus offer to make God perfect? pleased, and his anger is taken away. What sacrifice was made that allowed us to draw near to God? Jesus did some sacrifice. What was it? When he what? Offered up what? Himself. This is how he did it. He was the one that was offered. He offered up his holy, innocent, unstained life in exchange for the forgiveness of unholy, guilty, sin-stained people. His sacrifice covers all the sins of those who would draw near to God through him. All your sins are paid for. And if you commit sin and you come to Jesus, he will forgive that sin too. That's what our text is telling us. He did this not two times, not three times, not four times, not five times, not six times, not seven times. He did this one time and it was pleasing to the Father. Look at what 1st Peter says. In 1st Peter chapter 1 verse 9, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. What what ransomed us, but what? With the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spirit. amazing. We can be hopeful to draw near to God with confidence knowing that Jesus made the essential sacrifice to pay for all your sins. All our sins have been wiped clean. So not only is his priesthood established with a promise from God that will never change, Jesus is a high priest forever and not only did we see that it is enduring, it's the same for them like it is for us and it will be after we're gone until he comes back. We also saw that it was, he made the essential sacrifice that paid for our sins. It's, it was him that offered it. Nothing else offered it. Now the author will finish his reasoning of why Jesus' priesthood is better than the Levitical one and it's because it's without equal. It is without equal. Verse 28. For the law appoints men and their weaknesses as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. First of all, the weakness in the liturgical priesthood lies in the sinfulness of the high priest. Although Jesus became like human beings in every respect, he did not sin and only such a high priest can act for us only he can atone Jesus' priesthood is without oh sorry jesus's <laughs> priesthood is without equal because our priest is the son of god our priest is the son of god and he is the one mediating for us in heaven It's not a man who studied the Torah, and who grew up in a family called Levi, and therefore, when his father dies, he has to take up the, the clothes of the priest and do all those ritual and stuff, and then he dies, and then the other his son comes up or another family member comes in, takes up the high priestly role and does the sacrifices daily, 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 year after year after year. Our priest is the son of God. He knows the Father. Who is his son? You guys remember from earlier we read he is truly God. He is co-equal, co-eternal with the Father and Holy Spirit. He is part of the Triune God, and he was uh, he um, he was made perfect forever. This is answering the question from verse 11. If I could just read verse 11. Remember the question that the the author, he was trying to answer. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of the Melchizedekian priesthood rather than one named after Aaron? He's saying this priesthood that you're tempted to go back to, it's not good. It's expired. Something better has come, and it's only found in Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus is the only way and the only one through whom we can have hope in drawing near to God. You can have hope. Uh, His priesthood is established by God with an oath, His priesthood is enduring even today. His priesthood is essential. He made the perfect sacrifice for us so that we could have access to the Father. We can have access to the Father. His priesthood is without equal among all the other priesthoods out there for it is the Son of God who mediates for us before God the Father yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Therefore, as Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, these things are so heavenly, these truths about you are so massive. Lord, I I pray that your spirit will impress these truths in our hearts, that we will be reminded that our high priest is active. He's not sitting around. He's not sinning. He is actively interceding for us, even right now. Undeserved, sinful people, you have brought us near to yourself. You have brought us near, God. Lord, I just pray for the rest of our service and throughout our week that we would grow into these truths and we will keep with confidence Draw near to you. And it's in your name, our high priest, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.